2: Welcome back to the Prospect interview where we speak to the brightest minds and talk about the ideas that matter in politics, arts and society. I'm Sarah, editorial assistant at Prospect magazine and today I'm hosting a very special podcast where I talk to our team about the good, the bad and the ugly in the strange year that's coming to a close. In 2021, we saw the inauguration of a new US president, a four-month national lockdown, and 130 million doses of coronavirus vaccines, and counting, administered in the UK. We saw 18-year-old Emma Raducanu win the US Open, the withdrawal of military forces from Afghanistan, and the formation of the AUKUS Pact. In the year delegates descended on Glasgow for the COP26 climate conference, Aldi and Marks and Spencers got into a legal battle over Colin and Cuspert's The Caterpillar Cakes. And as Mark Zuckerberg launched his virtual reality metaverse, video platform TikTok became the most popular app in the world. With all this rapidly disappearing in the rearview mirror, I asked the team what surprised them most about this turbulent year. And I also coaxed, well, OK, I forced them to give some tentative predictions for the year ahead, as well as discussing the best of prospect journalism from 2021. First up, I grabbed five minutes with our editor, Alan Westbridge. My first question to you is, what was your favourite article that you read in Prospect this year?
3: Well, I had to choose something from um, my first issue, which was right at the end of the year. Uh, and there were so many good pieces, but I think the standout piece is the one that we put on the cover, which was a piece about cancel culture by the Irish writer, Fintan O'Toole. And these two little words, cancel culture, have um, become part of the common parlance over the last 18 months, ever since a bunch of academics and public figures wrote about it to Harper's Magazine. And... I I think it's become such a sort of lazy term. It's a bit like that horrible word woke that people throw around um intending it as a terrible uh insult. And I thought it was just worth trying to unlock the the multiple uh instances that 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 have had this label cancel culture slapped on them. And we dug out about 60 examples and some you looked at and you thought well they definitely should be canceled in, in any age that, that would have been worthy of censure or dismissal or silencing. Uh, a lot of uh, others were rather more marginal. They were things that um, offended people undoubtedly, uh, that were that were tasteless. Sometimes they were historic, things that people had tweeted 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So we got Fintan O'Toole to, to look at this sort of database of cases and then write about it. And he wrote such a marvellous essay um, full of subtlety and nuance and not being lazy at all in how he used those words. And I think it was one of those rare pieces of journalism that really makes you think of a subject in a completely new way.
2: Great. Well, thank you, Alan. And my next question, which is potentially a bit of a harder one, what did you read or what happened in 2021 that surprised you?
3: Well, we're speaking at the end of December, and I suppose the thing that most surprises me is that Boris Johnson is still our Prime Minister. We seem to have gone full circle when he was first appointed. Lots of the people who knew him best uh, warned us that he was... um, Come on, put it not up to the job. Um, they warned us that he was a terrible liar, that he had no attention for detail, that he had no concentration, that he was a brilliantly sparkling columnist, but had no depth, uh, and that he w- would lie his way out of problems. Um, so they warned us that's what you're getting, and uh, whatever it is, two and a half years later, here he still is. He's had a terrible year he, he hasn't um uh, shown any kind of consistent leadership through covid the promised uplands of of brexit have yet to yet to materialize uh he hasn't managed to unify the disparate tribes within his own party uh and of course he has been caught out in uh uh, a number of ways um, and his first incentive is always to bluster and deny and then prevaricate but i think um the british people are, are getting a sense of of this person they've elected uh, and 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 possibly guessing that he's barely up to controlling his own staff at number 10 yet uh, alone the machinery of government let alone uh, a country Going through um, what is, by any accounts, a national emergency, a national crisis, Um, and so it's it's slightly surprising to 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 still see him there. I mean, many things that would have sunk other mortals appear to have bounced off him, and one always thought that he had a kind of sort of Teflon quality, but especially in the last two months, this series of um, self-inflicted wounds. Uh, have uh, left him very, very weakened. Um, And it is still slightly surprising to see him still as Prime Minister.
2: And finally, what do you predict will happen in 2022 that will surprise people?
3: I think the thing that will surprise us is the weather, Um, or if you prefer the word, climate. We know the overarching story. We know that that, that, that there is a, a climate emergency, and that the that, that the climate is changing faster than we can possibly, um, I think, imagine or or uh, imagine how to counteract. And I think twenty twenty two will be a year of sun when we least expect it rain when we least expect it frost when we least expect it there will be floods there will be hurricanes there will be tornadoes uh there will be droughts uh there will be famines um and each one on its own will be surprising just as we've just we've just seen terrible things happening in Kentucky and it's always difficult for climate scientists to, to pinpoint each one and say that one's happening because of climate change. But surely we are beginning to recognize that the pattern of change is no longer deniable. And so I predict, sadly, that there will be many more of these weather events and weather, exceptional weather spells that add up to um, a, and a very alarming story about climate Um it's, sorry, that's not a very not a very cheerful note on which we on which to end twenty twenty one. But I think we have to uh, accept that this is our future for a, at least a generation.
2: And to I'm throwing in an extra question here, which is a bit unreasonable <clears throat> um, to spring on you. But as we are ending on such a negative but important note, does anything spring to mind that's happened this year that is actually sp- Made you happy, or surprised you in a positive way, or given you reason for hope.
3: Well, I think COVID, um, you know, for for most of us who have not lived through wartime, thank God, um, is it's not wartime, but it is it is a prolonged national crisis, and I think it has brought out the worst in some people, undoubtedly, but I think it's brought out the best in a lot of people. And I think there's a renewed awareness of how interdependent we all are. There's a renewed appreciation for health professionals, our, our national health service. Uh, there's a renewed appreciation for all the things that we've missed, for of friendship and fresh air and companionship and, and laughter. So I, th- I think in a way... Although it's been a tough time to live through, the the things that we most treasure have uh, have emerged in in much more vivid colours, and the the gifts of friendship and health and and love um, have seemed ever more important.
2: Thank you so much, Alan. That's a much lighter note to end. It on. is.
3: That's a much better note.
2: And now I'm joined by Emily Lawford, our assistant editor. Hi Emily, thanks for coming on. My first question for you is, what was your favorite article from Prospects that you read this year?
4: My favorite article I read was in the January-February edition that we've just that's just come out. It was Jane Martinson's feature about the Daily Mail. I thought it was an absolutely fascinating investigation into the personalities behind Britain's best-selling newspaper and how much a few changes in tone and po- changes in internal politics can really affect the politics of this country and it was filled with funny and fascinating quotes and insights and really showed a lot about how um, this it influences the government and the country as a whole. For example, the Daily Mail's aggressive front page about the Owen patterson Slee scandal, I think it seemed like was one of the reasons why he finally resigned. And that was still under the edit- editorship of Geordie Gregg, which is now, who is now sacked during the writing of the article. And Jane Martin had to slightly pivot the piece. But I think the end result was completely fascinating and in fact made more interesting and more relevant because of the changing of the guard that happened during the editing process.
2: Thank you so much, Emily. That's a really interesting answer. And also not to be plugging more of our podcast, but um, we have got our podcast out about Jane Martison and her piece with Alan. Um, So any listeners do tune into that. Um, So my next question, Emily, is a significantly harder one. Apologies for this. But what did you read or what happened that surprised you in 2021?
4: I was completely shocked by the rollback of abortion rights in america that was something that i absolutely did not think would happen i thought it was completely safe especially in a year when the democrats control the presidency the house and the senate i thought that it was completely secure and so to see first of all texas's law which um, lets People, uh, individuals sue people who aid abortion and now Mississippi taking to the Supreme Court a case that could overturn Roe versus Wade I never would have seen that coming I know there's a and there's a, a conservative majority on the Supreme Court so it's worrying what could happen and I think most people were fairly relaxed about that even during the presidential election it was brought up but I, I don't think well I certainly didn't think it was at risk as was at risk as it is If this Supreme Court uh, go with Mississippi, 22 states could have rollback of abortion rights. And that is absolutely terrifying.
2: God, that is terrifying and not something that I knew. Um, So finally, and our hardest question, I think, what do you predict will happen in 2022 that might surprise people?
4: I think it's very likely that Charles will become king. And I think that will really change the way the monarchy is perceived here, because he's a lot less popular than the Queen. He's a more divisive figure. He's he's slightly more politically engaged, but he's come under fire in the press recently. And I mean, since his marriage, he's been a much less well-liked figure than the Queen. And so I think we'll lose a lot of public respect for the monarchy that the Queen manages to sustain. I think they'll have a lot less power and a lot less status in public life. But also, I think Charles will continue with his plan to slim down the monarchy. So you'll see a lot less from siblings. Um, But I also wonder if this might mean, and I hope this will happen, it might mean a year of reconciliation for Charles's children. I think it could happen that William and Harry could bury the hatchet. or At least I think that would be a nice upside.
2: You heard it here first, everyone. If it happens, it's Emily Lawford who predicted it that <laughs> Harry and Will will be reunited in 2022. Thanks so much, Emily, for joining us today. Thank you. Next, senior editor Alex Dean tells me about his favourite prospect article of 2021.
1: So I went for uh, Adam Wagner's Taking Liberties piece from our May issue. Uh, This year, which was basically about the risk that we've permanently surrendered certain liberties during the course of the pandemic. Um, The key thing to say is that it wasn't a lockdown sceptic piece. Um, I think it was an underappreciated point that it made, which is the, the way that we've been drafting laws during the course of COVID has been... Uh, you know, at best <laughs> suboptimum, and at worst actually quite alarming, um, because the level of scrutiny that's gone into the way we've been making laws that have affected swathes of our national life—you um, know, even even the laws bringing in and taking out lockdowns—have um, been made sort of a swish of the ministerial pen rather than with the full raft of scrutiny from Parliament. Um, and I just worried about the precedent that was setting. And I hadn't seen it explained as clearly as uh, Adam explained it.
2: And is Adam the barrister who did those um, series of Twitter threads that I remember I've, I followed them absolutely religiously during the pandemic to kind of get his feedback on whatever the government were doing? Is, can you just explain a little bit more about him and, and what he does?
1: Absolutely. He's a human rights barrister and he's sort of become known as the only person in the UK who understands the COVID regulations. Um, So when we had complicated sort of three tiers and, you know, moving in and out of different tiers across different parts of the country, um, it was very difficult to keep up with exactly what the rules were. And so exactly who was breaking them and why. So whenever there's sort of a the potential that you know a government minister or something had broken the rules, people would often turn to Adam and check, and he'd say, uh, "Yes, well, it might seem like they haven't, but if you look at this sort of obscure clause, then it turns out they have." Um, so he's he's an expert on human rights, but also has developed this particular niche specialism in the in the lockdown laws, and as a result, was was quite well placed to examine the ways in which we've been making those rules and. The want of you know proper practice and procedure um during the creation of them
2: that's so interesting um i think that's a really good pick not that it's me to judge everybody's picks but um i'm so glad you brought that article back up so my next question is what did you read or what happened in 2021 that surprised you
1: so thinking about this um i ended up deciding i would go with david frost's resignation and i don't think it's just for the recency bias it it, admittedly (laughs) it did happen just a couple of days ago and i'm always conscious um that might be biasing me but i think it just genuinely stunned me actually and i think the reason it did is because i'd become so used to brexit serving as an adhesive for the government and there's you know all sorts of disagreements over different things but basically it had been a Brexit government and you were you know elevated to the cabinet regardless (laughs) it seemed of your merits based on your allegiance to the Brexit cause and Johnson and Frost you know you could quibble at the margins but basically seemed aligned on their approach to Brexit and they both you know taking this sort of hard line view that you dig in and you win concessions that way and you uh you you push back hard against the eu and they cave eventually um and I, so i really just didn't expect it actually and i suppose it's quite important because it serves as a reminder that the sal- salience of brexit is is diminishing over time and frost cited lots of other reasons in his resignation letter about the direction of the government. And it was basically an attack from the right in terms of COVID and the shape of the economy, as well as Brexit. And um, I suppose I it just caught me off guard.
2: So the final question, which potentially is even harder, yeah. what, what do you predict will happen in 2022 that will surprise people?
1: So this is a, a bit provocative but you know that's the purpose of the exercise i suppose i've gone for the decline of china and what i mean by that isn't so much that it's going to that all the measures are literally going to start pointing downwards on the graph but more that there's an element of geopolitical momentum that has been stuttering and is going to reverse uh, and that could happen as soon as next year because it's become total received wisdom that the west led by the united states is experiencing relative decline and at the same time china is in the ascendant and the balance of power is shifting and we just all need to get used to the fact that china is you know the new superpower, and will will soon become the dominant global player, um, and that sort of received wisdom across the board. But actually, it China faces quite serious demographic headwinds. Um, its economy is slowing, e- you know, massively. But even it was always going to slow as it hit a higher level of development. But even factoring that in, it's still facing economic headwinds, Um, you know, the level of debt with sort of the Evergrande property crisis. Um, And also, controversially, I think that some of the Western containment measures on things like Huawei, the telecoms provider, with countries just refusing to use the Chinese tech, are having some impact. Um, So you know now none of this means that we don't still face a sort of superpower rivalry because china could be even more aggressive and assertive if it's in if it's experiencing problems than if it's all going rosy for it
2: now i'm joined by our production editor david McAllister. so david what was your favorite prospect article that you read this year
5: um, I think my favourite was probably, or at least the one that sticks in my mind the most, or I find reason to come back to often, is David Willett's review of conservatism by Edmund Fawcett, which is basically like an overview of history of conservative thought in the US, France, Germany and uh, Britain. I think especially at the moment where you know we're seeing the Conservative Party in a bit of a crisis over Christmas parties, we might think that this is the end of them, but actually, as Willett's review highlights... Conservatism has an amazing ability to bounce back from the brink. So I think some of the lessons from both that and Rook and from the review shows that we should never discount the Conservatives from um, surviving.
2: Okay, that's interesting. So what was it about this specific book that stood out to you when you know, there's so many books written about the Conservatives and Conservatism?
5: One thing about the review that struck me was the historical context of it. Um you know, the Conservative Party has been a pretty startling force for you know, hundreds of years now. And it's understanding how it survives and how it's been able to adapt to each historical situation, which I find less common in other books about conservatism, which more focus on, you know, free market ideology and all the rest of it and what remains the same. Whereas that what faucets no. Cut that. What Willett's review sort of highlights is actually what makes conservatism so powerful is the fact that it's changing all the time and adapting to um, new circumstances, unlike parties of the left, which often can seem a bit inflexible or sort of willing to die on their sword before they change tact.
2: So it's ultimately a very prospect book in that it's zooming out and looking at an issue that's kind of dominating the news, but from a long and historical view. Um, so thanks for that, David. And what did you read or what happened in 2021 that surprised you?
5: Well, the most surprising, I think, by a mile is probably the attacks in the US capital back in January. But it's quite amazing to think that was that was still you know, within 12 months ago. Um, and I think we still haven't really fully reckoned with the consequence of that. Um, To me, it was one of those events where it just proved that you can't believe in make-believe until it becomes a reality. You you can't keep using violent language or you can't keep demonising minorities or believing in conspiracies without that leaking out into the real world at some point. I think you can also see in the face of some of the people that raided the capital. It didn't really dawn on them until they are actually... In the building itself, what they were doing. Um, and this it also just proves that this is something that we're going to have to be thinking about for years to come. And I'm sure at the next US presidential election, we'll be seeing the sort of rhetoric and language that led to the capital attacks uh, rearing their head again.
2: Okay. And finally, what do you s- predict will happen in 2022 that will surprise people?
5: So we've just had in the news recently that um, Chile has elected a new president um, from the left, which has, I think it has been quite a while for Chile to elect a left-wing president. Um, so there might be an assumption that we're going to see another pink wave across South America, um, especially in Brazil, where recent polling has showed that Lula might be set to make a return. However, I wouldn't be surprised if that, in spite of it all, um, Bolsonaro manages to keep his grip on Brazil. But in either case, I think South America will be the place to be watching in the next year.
2: Great. Thank you so much for joining us, David. I'm now joined by our head of engagement and social media mastermind, Joe. Thanks so much, Joe Murray, for joining us.
6: It's really great to be here.
2: So Joe, what was your favourite prospect article that you've read this year?
6: I think it has to be Generation Z. Um, For me, it was so insightful about how young people are leading their lives and the world that they're inhabiting is totally different to the older generation. I think we always know there are generational divides, but reading the article really gave me much more insight into actually the extent to which they lead their lives online. And the changes in communication and in language, which has developed, you know, and continues to develop at pace. Um, and it's really important that we understand these changes and that we listen to young people because they are going to be the future. They are the future. And we need to understand how they see the world and how they mobilise and how they think things can be changed. So that, for me, was was a really interesting article um, that taught me a lot and realised actually it's often much better to listen, to read and understand and listen to young people um, and to um, look at how we can engage them as well. I think what surprised me was the way that they use language and the way that they communicated through different terminology, different emojis, different sort of the way in which uh, the way in which words are used and what different symbols mean and how things mean different things to different people. And for for a generation that's much older like myself, I didn't know about that. In in such detail, and I'm glad I do. <laughs> um, it's very important that we can reduce the generational divide digitally. I think there's a lot of loneliness that can occur through the gap in technology for the older and for the younger generation, and I it would be good to um, to understand the technology and their lives more, so that we can overcome that.
2: That's so interesting. Yeah, I would love the idea that we could one day get to a point where elderly people and young people were communicating on the same platforms, part of the same social media ecosystem, rather than super separate, which I feel like they are now. So, my next question is zooming out a bit. What have you read or what has happened in 2021 that has surprised you?
6: I think what has surprised me is how fragile our society, our public services, our government, our democracy is. I think the pandemic, of course, has affected us all in different ways to a greater or lesser extent, depending on the circumstances. But I think... When you look at the way in which the fabric of our society has had to deal with something that we've never actually had to deal with before, and how quickly you can lose the restaurant on the corner, the pub at the end of the road, the playground that has to close, really the world that we live in now is is a very different one actually to the one that we, we all knew and For me, it surprised me how much I depended on knowing that those things were there
2: Mm.
6: and are there.
2: And my final question, and probably the hardest one, what do you predict might happen in 2022 that would surprise people?
6: Well, I hope this doesn't happen because (laughs) um because it is a worry for the world i think but i do wonder where the direction of travel is with nato and russia and i think because we are so understandably utterly consumed with making sure that we can lead our lives safely with the pandemic i think it's understandably easy to sort of just not really fully engage with what's going on beyond our own borders and I think that's a particular um, a particular concern and one which is rumbling away in the background but that hasn't quite um, fortunately yet become a problem Um, but it is becoming a problem and I think that how NATO um, Response to Russia, and whether NATO itself is um, whether NATO itself can exist in its current form and its effectiveness. I think that's very interesting, and you know the the changing dynamics of that region and how the West deals with that in a in a pandemic world. <laughs> um, so I think that particular area will be very interesting and goes to the defence of the west as a whole and you know whether nato um ex- whether nato can deal with that effectively or not
2: thanks so much jay and now i'm joined by contributing editor tom clark our first question is what did you read in Prospect this year that you enjoyed the most?
7: Well, for me, I think that one's fairly easy. It was Ellie and Glace's piece on homeschooling, and the reason why it was a special piece for me is it was it spoke to me at a different level, a kind of almost um, you know direct experiential level rather than the kind of intellectual level of a lot of Prospect pieces. And it was about what well, absolute nonsense we're putting our primary school age children through. And of course, a whole cohort of um, us parents um, were suddenly seeing it directly because we were tasked with being homeschool teachers in uh, the end of last, parts of last year and January of this year. And um, like, you know, they were just studying this arcane grammar about phrasal verbs and, you know, uh, I've forgotten the syntax, but the point is it was um, mechanical analysis and deconstruction of how language works, that you can use language perfectly well without knowing any of. Um, and so it struck me as completely bizarre. Uh, and uh, Elian went through it all very elegantly. Um, I might also just add that the way that article came about is I was sort of pulling my hair out and just put some moan on Twitter. And Elian jumped in and said, too true, I need to write about this for you. And it's a reminder sometimes that when you um, have a piece that maybe you've kind of spent ages talking about and backing and forthing with the author, it doesn't always work out. But where both the editor and the person who's going to write the piece know exactly what they're talking about in this case, because they're in the same boat. She's got children of very similar age. uh, Then the piece takes care of itself. Uh, And I'd encourage everyone still to look that up.
2: So our next question is a slightly harder one, which is what have you read or what has happened in 2021 that has surprised you?
7: Well, I think I'd say that the surprise I've had has been on the political front, which is just how quickly Boris Johnson has unraveled once he'd begun to unravel. And of course, this is a kind of compare and contrast surprise, because for the um, uh, three or four years beforehand, arguably for the 20 years, Four years beforehand, you know, the surprising thing about Boris Johnson in the name of one of the long articles we once run about him is his tendency to get away with it. Um, uh, You know, he got away with some extraordinary stuff over the pandemic Um, in 2020. He called the lockdown too late. Now, that one might be forgivable because, of course, it was a new and uncertain thing that was hitting. But then he called the second lockdown when we knew exactly what was happening. And when he'd already almost being killed himself by the virus. He still called the second lockdown too late. And the one that really sticks in my mind is that in January of last year, he sent all the children back to school for one day to mix and spread the virus before he suddenly remembered that it might be a good idea to have a lockdown after all. So all of that was kind of disastrous. And then we've had Bernard Castle in the sense that the, that the people around Boris Johnson were... Um, out of touch. We've had, um, you know, ongoing messes around Brexit and all the rest of it. But he's kind of bumbled away and, and got away with it. And then suddenly, when he tried to get away with getting his friend Owen Patterson off for a kind of um, sleaze issue in uh, November, I think it was, it started to unravel. And now every little detail about a lump of cheese here or a glass of wine there or standing too close to someone there. People are jumping on him and um, uh, uh, and going for him, and his party seems to have lost its um, marbles now and, and doesn't support Boris Johnson anymore. So it's some—it's um, not so much that that's happened because politicians do get found out, but the speed.
2: Finally, um, for potentially the hardest question of all, what do you predict will happen in twenty twenty two that will surprise people?
7: Now, I say this with a great deal of reticence um, and with some worry that it sound, could sound completely crass in January when I think the pandemic, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with Omnicrom and how ill or not it's going to make people, but it could be that January is absolutely awful and maybe even the worst time we've seen in the whole pandemic. But with all that said, um, uh, or it could be, could be um, a, a much lesser disaster than we had this time last year because of all the vaccines. But with all that said, I wonder weather, precisely because this virus is going so quickly through the population, everyone will have had this new variant quite soon. And whatever the consequences, then we might find that we get back to normal a bit quicker than we're expecting. Um, You know, once um, most people have had it, and once most people have had their boosters, and then once it stops being the end of uh, indoor only mixing as the weather warms up, I wonder whether come March and April... Um, life will feel a lot more normal than it's possible to imagine just now.
2: I really, really hope that's true. And that's a very optimistic um, note for us to end on. So thanks so much, Tom.
7: Okay, because someone's got to, I'm now going to turn the tables on producer Sarah and put her own terrifying questions back to her. The least of, the first of which Sarah is the least terrifying. What was your favourite prospect piece?
2: My favourite piece was by Ian Kennedy and it was a web piece actually from August. And it was about the rather niche or seemingly niche legal topic of clinical negligence reform. So just as an overview for anyone who's not Aware of it, clinical negligence litigation is essentially um, the suing of doctors or medical professionals on the basis of mistakes they've made, and it costs the NHS eight billion annually in payouts to patients who have suffered um, at the hands of medics, and that has had you know a really big effect on their lives. And obviously, that's really a huge amount of money. And the way that that system operates is something that I think we should discuss as a society, and we should be aware of the policy implications of it but it's not something that you hear much about because it's mired in technical legal jargon and it's seen as very much status quo something that could never be changed That it's just part of our legal system when actually because of the unique nature of the NHS and the fact that it's funded by taxpayers money but also that doctors are doing things that really um, attract like litigation because they're doing often very high risk things for patients so yeah it's a really expensive area of litigation with huge policy implications and I've never seen anybody write about it before Um, and I personally from studying have always been really interested in it and when I saw that Prospect had published a piece by Ian Kennedy on it I was just so happy.
7: That's fantastic. (laughs) Um, Okay, secondly, and slightly more uh, uh, nerve-wracking perhaps, what has surprised you most? What single thing has surprised you most during the course of 2021?
2: Um, So I've got a slightly more melancholy answer to this question, which is that when the tragic case of Sir Everard happened earlier on in the year and a vigil was held on and Common um, to kind of commemorate her death and for grieving, um, I actually attended that vigil and I was just so shocked to see the way that the police behaved, the, the number of officers, the aggressive tactics they used, the fact that they failed to kind of um, operate in a way that... they they failed, in my opinion, to use lesser tactics like talking to people or asking people informally to leave before really demonstrating the kind of scenes that we saw in the press. And um, when I was standing there watching this scene unfold, I couldn't really believe it was in the UK. I couldn't really believe this was happening at a peaceful process. Obviously, there were, of course, social distancing um, regulations in place and there was a legal backdrop to it. But Yeah, it was just something I never expected to see in this country and something that shocked me and horrified me in many ways.
7: Gosh, right. Okay, and let's now cast the uh, eyes forward and uh, see if you can see. What no one else can see, a surprise coming for next year.
2: So my answer to this question is very vague, um, but I just think that there must be something new on the horizon in terms of big tech and social media. Obviously, we've had Google, Facebook, Amazon. These have now become massive household names and they kind of emerged within, I think, the same decade. Um, So obviously, TikTok is now... Really surged forward, and there's a whole new platform, a whole new way that young people use social media. I think something else new must be next. I don't think it's going to be Marty Zuckerberg's Metaverse, I could be wrong. Um, But yeah, I think big changes must be afoot with Big Tech. And that's all from us. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you've had a really merry Christmas and have a wonderful new year. And if you want to treat yourself to some new journalism in the new year, subscribe to Prospect today.